we certainly want to pray for Moses uh, and his family. Uh, I'll talk to him this afternoon and try to get some more details about what, what's happening and what's going on. Um, Miss Faye, tell, tell everybody what you told me about Miss Charlotte. Craig and Charlotte have had a rough three or four years. Um, Charlotte, Diane and I was telling Miss Faye when she told me that some of you don't know Miss Charlotte because she was sick when you joined our church, but Charlotte used to be in charge of our prayer ministry, our prayer room, uh, the prayer request that you see, the special forms she handled that. We just She had a vibrant ministry. She led a vibrant ministry and and then really it seemed that she and then Craig both got horrible diseases diagnosed about the same time and they've had a tough several years and we want to pray for Craig and, and for Charlotte and for the daughter that's going to be taking care of Charlotte. And um, Diane and I talk about Charlotte and Craig almost every day and what they've been through the past several years. Uh, Men like Craig, and, and we've had others, uh, Mr. Brooks, would, John Brooks would be another example. I could name dozens of them who would, they would exert more energy just to get here than you and I would spend in a month. I mean, it, it was brutal. I think about John Brooks could barely walk, and for years he came. Uh, every, every time the church door was open, when physically he could have had thousands of excuses to stay at the house, but he didn't until he just physically could not make it. Men like that, Craig's the same way. Uh, Craig has, and I told him that when I was visiting with him, he could use that as an excuse. He could just check out and do what he wants and could use that as an excuse, but he doesn't do that, and I'm grateful for their witness and for their testimony. Also, it's exciting to see Tim and Marianne in church. Are they here together now, or did they? Okay, hey, Marianne. Tim. Tim's the one that left, didn't he? I'm just kidding. Um, TJ's at home with his sister, and uh, what a blessing that they've got to come to church together, and it's a blessing that TJ is at home, and we continue to pray for him, and uh, he does have an appetite now, and he is eating real food. Okay, thir this Thursday. Right. But after the changes and hope, how long will it take you to hear once they do the biopsy? Don't they send it? Okay. Well, we, we, we've been burdened about that, and we'll continue to pray God's blessing on, on TJ. Uh, eight years. What a testimony. Let's talk about Jesus. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading, uh, beginning at verse 1, about uh, the, the birth narrative of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I love the portion that Robbie read. He read the preliminaries when the angel Gabriel came and uh, said that he brought some good news. 
he had good news. It is the word gospel. If you are interested in those things, it's verse 19 of chapter 1. I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. It is the word. It's our English word evangelism, evangelize. It's not how it looks. But anyway, it is our English word evangelism, but, but it's pronounced euangelion. But good news is how it's translated. So you have, the, what, the, who is the good news? Uh, Jesus Christ is the good news. He also read down in verse 30 that, that she had the favor says, uh, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. By the way, that's the most often used negative imperative. Don't be afraid. The most often spoken command that's negative. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. The word favor is the word grace. So the, the story of Jesus is about the good news of God's grace. Am I right? That's what it is. By the way, the word grace, translated favor in the birth narratives are found two more times, both in chapter 2, when it's talking about Christ coming into the world. It's an act of, an act of God's grace. I'm in, I'm in Luke chapter 2, and I want to read a good portion of this, and then I'm going to just talk to you about how profound it is that God became a man. Uh, we think about Philippians 2, uh, which is known as kino. It's just a, re- a word from the Bible language, but kino passage. Kino is emptying. It's self-emptying passage. You know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it says he basically was God, but he emptied himself of whatever it took for him to become the God-man to come to this earth so he could die in man's place. A wonderful, so he emptied himself. Well, this is, this is part of that beautiful message of Christ becoming man. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus, is, both of the real those words are titles. Uh, the first emperor of Rome was Julius Caesar. I think Caesar Augustus was a nephew, maybe. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, folks, the, what, one reason this is important when you read your Bibles and read the birth narrative is that this is not a fairy tale. This event of Christ's birth was fit in history. As a matter of fact, Galatians 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So at the right time, He was born into the Roman Empire. But He's also born in a Jewish home, born under the law. Because if somebody's going to be a substitute for sinners, they have to obey the law. And Christ obeyed the law perfectly. He was not sinful, so He died in our place. A great story there. But you know, it wasn't like once upon a time. And you can make up in your mind what once upon a time was. Now this this event is fixed in history. It's provable in a court that Jesus was born. 
in Bethlehem of Judea. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governing Syria. And there was an archaeological find a dozen years ago where they discovered a, a document that said, Governor of Syria, Quirinius. Okay? So, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So this registration, which was for taxes, obviously, was everybody went home to the, where their lineage started from. He was from the line of David, so he goes back to Bethlehem. He goes back to Bethlehem. By the way, from Nazareth to Bethlehem is, and you're, and if you, because you're headed towards Judea, headed towards Jerusalem, they always say going up. But if you're looking at a map, it's it's 90 miles almost due north, due south. So from Galilee to to Bethlehem is about a 90 mile journey. Uh, if you were to ride that on a donkey today, and I'm sure you would like to, uh, it'd take you about four days. We don't know how long it took Mary and Joseph, but with her being heavy with child, obviously it took them longer than a week. But folks, this is a real event in real time and space. And legally, just I don't know if you ever thought about this, but legally, Mary did not legally have to go. But maybe because of the ridicule back home, maybe because he knew soon that she, it would be time for her to birth the child, she made the journey with him. And of course, in God's eternal plan, Micah 5.2 tells us where Messiah would be born. And it says in Bethlehem of Judea. So the, the Bible said that's where Christ would be born. So Mary took the journey because that's where Christ was going to be born. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Again, you know, betrothed is a situation, we, we'll, but that's not the message this morning, but Joseph so was visited by an angel, explained the situation, the angel explained the situation to him, and so Joseph sowed grace, and so they're betrothed. She was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And can you imagine... By the way, if you study the word bedlam, the word bedlam has roots in the city of Bethlehem. And one of the articles I read ties bedlam into the events that was going on in Bethlehem at this very time because so many people were descendants of David and they would go back to this small village at this registration and life was chaotic in, in Bethlehem of Judea uh, and during this census. It says, uh, 
And in the same, so she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swathing cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And it's a feeding trough that he's laid in. Uh, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. You know, it's a lonely... I mean, when you're describing the birth of Christ, uh, it describes nobody's there. It seems to be except Joseph and Mary. Now, was it possible that there could have been a midwife somewhere that came and helped Mary? That, that's possible. Could there have been other family members that at least were nearby? Just to, Yes, I mean, all that's... But as you read the narrative of it's a lonely birth of a very poor family. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and so there were region, there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Interesting enough, uh, there's this glory that appeared with the angel describes the Old Testament glory of God in the Shekinah glory, the glory cloud that led the children of Israel. It seems to be a connection. So uh, that being so, this cloud this, that shone would have been a shocking display for these shepherds in the middle of the night. And of course the angel said to the shepherds, much what had been said to Mary, Fear not. It says they were filled with great fear. So it says, and the angel said to them, fear not. Matter of fact, I love the King James. If you're looking at verse 9 and do have a King James. They were filled, they were, it says, and they were sore afraid. I don't even know what sore means, but obviously it must mean extremely afraid. They were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. By the way, that was one of the titles of Caesar Augustus. He was known as the Soter. S-O-T-E-R is the word salvation or, or Savior. It says, there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. This is a Savior that's not like Caesar Augustus. This is the very Son of God. The Bible says, Who is Christ the Lord? He's Messiah. The word Christ is the Greek word for the word Messiah. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. And obviously it's possible that there maybe have been more than one baby that had been delivered in Bethlehem near this time of birth of Christ. So here's the sign for the shepherds. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, notice there it, doesn't say they were singing. It does say that they were say, but we can sing it. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. Let me say, let me read that again. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Solomon read something about that. We know Christ is the Prince of Peace. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. You know, it's always he's the, he's the, He brings peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give it unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So everything the angels told them about Jesus, they told everybody else. And it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it was told them. Folks, listen, listen to this. Remember, he was born under the law. Okay. By the way, Mary and Joseph were righteous people. They were, let's say they were 16. We know Mary was very young, 15, let's say. 16, probably at the out. I mean, she could have been younger than 16, 15 or 16. Joseph could have been a little bit older, but not much. I mean, these are, these are teenagers. It's possible they could have been older teenagers. We think they were younger. These are young, young teenagers. But the Bible indicates both of these young people were righteous. They were holy. They believed in the law of God. They believed in the, the sacrifices of Judaism that there had to be a, a, a substitute for your sin and they, they were committed to Judaism because of that. And they also believed in obeying the law. So I want you to notice what the text says. This is so important because Christ was born under the law and of course, He never sinned. He was never you know, nobody ever said, you're a sinner. You know, you, you violated this law. Uh, the sin they accused him of, which they crucified him for, was the claim of being deity, being God. That was true, but they killed him for it. But he never violated a law. And some of these things he could not control. How are you going to be circumcised on the eighth day? He personally couldn't make that happen. But guess who did? His parents. So just for, for just for a second, I want to read just a couple of more verses about this narrative. And, and, and oh, by the way, uh, uh, in Deuteronomy 19, it says that part of this was talking about capital punishment. But it's talking about in order for something to be documented and verified, for it to become law, there had to be two or three witnesses to confirm. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy, it's talking about convictions of doing wrong. But all throughout the New and Old Testament talked about needing two or three witnesses to confirm an event. Well, when you get past the birth narrative, 
It's interesting that when you read the rest of chapter 2, there are three that bear witness of, of Christ's birth. And you have Mary and Joseph, that would be one. You have Simeon, who's an old man, and then you have Anna. All of those show up in the temple to confirm the deity of Christ and Him being the very Son of God. It's just interesting, but that's what the law says. Had to fulfill the law. So there had to be witnesses to the deity of Christ, and there were. So says, I'm going back to verse 22. Says, so at the end, verse 21, at the end of eight days, we'll look at verse 21, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, and by the way, in, Ju- in Judaism, I, I didn't know this. I, I've learned this, this. I've read this story. I've been saved for 46 years. I mean, I've read it 47 years. I, I've read it numerous times and all this. I did not realize that when a, child, when a male child was circumcised, that's when they officially gave him the child's name. They announced officially the name. I mean, you could call him by name when he was born, but officially his name was, was publicly declared at circumcision. And that's a whole other message of God's grace while they're circumcision. And it was a mark and, and so many things that spoke to that, that, that we're so unclean. And, and, and every, every descendant of every human being is wicked. And, and there needs to be a new circumcision of the heart to make one clean. And, so, and at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. He was called Jesus. Oh, don't you love the name? Isn't that a sweet name? Jesus. Oh, I love the name. You know, and it, I mean, it's connected to the, to the name Joshua in the Old Testament. But it, the word means God saves. God saves or Jehovah saves. So his name was God saves. And God's going to save through Jesus. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's what the angel said. You're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. For he's going to save his people from their sins. Folks, If you know Jesus, you've been saved from your sins. Amen? Folks, that's why Christmas, that's why gifts mean so much. Because the gift of salvation is just so rich. We are so undeserving. We are so wicked. But yet God in His grace gifted us His Son in salvation. And when the time came for their purification according to the law, of course you can go back and read this in Leviticus 12, when, when a, a lady, when a mom had a male child, when it was a firstborn male, that firstborn male child was dedicated to God. But there's a purification time. And uh, so this is what that's describing. It's Very interesting, it says, So when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, 
they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is the 40-day event. And and it says that when a male child, so you have seven days, you have the eighth day the child is circumcised. And it talks about there has to be 33 more days. That's what it says in Leviticus chapter 12. They're circumcised. The, the mother's still not pure, she's still not considered clean. And it describes other issues that women have with blood. And so it, it mentions that, that there's this purification period. But for a male child, it, you, after, so there's, there's uh, 33 more days for a total of, of 40 days, 33 and 7, uh, that, that they have to wait. And so that's when they go at the 40 days and they dedicated Christ because he was the first child, male child that, that opened the womb. So that's what this is talking about. It says, and to offer, look at verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice, see, they're, they're following all the laws of Leviticus. They've been told this is going to be the son of the most. And at this point, Joseph has to believe to some degree, obviously, that what Mary told him was true, because the angel came and told him it was true, that what was in her, the seed that, that made Jesus planted in her womb, was the Holy Spirit. So from their standpoint, Mary and Joseph believe this is God's Son. And so they're obeying, they're obeying every standard of the law. Everything the law requires, they do. And so it requires that if a male child is the firstborn of a, of a mother, they dedicate it. And so at verse 24 says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, this is Leviticus 12.8, if you're poor... Now, this is for poor people. Uh, normally, you would or, uh, offer a, a, a lamb. But they didn't offer a lamb because it tells you the exceptions. If you're poor, that's what it says in Leviticus. You order, you offer turtle doves or pigeons. So that's what they offered. And then just to, to tell you the context, so Mary and Joseph witness, testify, follow the will of God because this is the Christ child. Then Simeon, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And you know, he takes him in his arm. And later on, there, there's Anna. Now, for the next five minutes, I just want you to listen to... Um, I'm, I'm just giving you four or five observations about how important what God did in getting His Son in this world and, and what Christ gave up um, to become man. I'm just going to, there's kind of a sentence or two, so I, I don't have like five points in a poem, so I have to read some of these statements to you. By the way, uh, it says, only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. That's Deuteronomy 19, 5. It's repeated again in 2 Corinthians 13 and 1 Timothy 5. Um, won't you listen to, uh, by the way, the law. 
I could preach a whole sermon on the law. Uh, you know, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates both day and night. And folks, we do meditate, but we don't necessarily say it's God's law. The first century Jews, that's all they had. They had the Old Testament. And they would meditate upon God's law, the law that God gave Moses, that Moses pinned down. They would meditate on God's word. And the psalmist is saying that a wise person will meditate on God's word both day and night. And, and so when you watch Mary and Joseph, they obeyed God's law. They loved God's law and they obeyed God's law. But it's in that context we have the birth of the Son. I want you to listen to just a couple of statements I wrote down. To me, these are profound. They may not be profound to you, but just act like they are for the next minute or two. Number one, this is Christ. This is Jesus Christ, the God, the second person of the Godhead. This is the eternal Son. This is Christ veiling His deity. When you read the, the, the story, the narrative, Christ and the Father planned this. The book of Hebrews tells us a little bit about that. The Father and the Son planned this. Now, you know, as the Creator who spoke everything into existence, the reproductive process, Christ and the Father designed and made. So Jesus is not as the eternal Son. He's not naive. He's not un, he has knowledge, but now He's fixing to become a seed in a woman's stomach. <laughs> so so it, this is Christ veiling His de- deity. So in order to veil Himself, He became a man. But, but as folks since the, since the 300, since the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century, of, of New Testament history, we have defended the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. Christ, this is what the creeds would say. There are several creeds. And there are even, many of them have been rolled over even to contemporary creeds. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Now I'm not smart enough to tell you how that happened. But Jesus The minute he was born, he is a man. He is fully a man, but he's also fully God. So when I read, I want you to think of it, and God confirmed, we we were assured of that in Scripture, that he would be all God and all man. But he veiled himself, he emptied himself, he did something, and I want you to, that's what he chose to do. Obviously, he left the portals of heaven to be here. So there's things he surrendered. Anyway, This is Christ veiling His deity. He is concealing Godness. You with me? His Godness, His deity. This is Jesus Christ veiling that. He's he's emptying Himself of whatever it took so inside of a human being, a Jewish man, He would veil deity. Omnipotence. You know, the word omnipotent means all-powerful. 
Think about this. See if this makes sense. Omnipotence. All-powerful. He is. Is now incognito. Now think about that. God, all-powerful God, is now incognito. You don't know who He is. And that's His plan. And folks, never, ever, ever could Jesus say to a group of people, under any circumstances, He could never say this, do you know who I am? See, that wasn't His purpose. You know, what are you doing? Do you know who I am? He couldn't say that. Because His whole purpose of coming was to veil the God part. But He was fully God and fully man. So omnipotence, He who made the world and everything in it, according to Acts 17, is now in this world incognito. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And folks, today, if you were to die today, or I die today, and I go and meet Jesus, and I see Him, we will see Him. Will we see a spirit? No. What will we see? A man. Right? A man. And so one of the things that he not only... He did this for eternity. He's going to rule the world. He's going to rule heaven in some kind of physical... He's going to look like us as a Jewish man, but perfect, incredible. Number one, let me read it again. I'm, I'm out of time. This is Christ veiling His deity, concealing Godness. Omnipotence is now incognito. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Number two. Since our Lord Jesus Christ is the Logos, that's the word for word, or let me read it. Since our Lord Jesus Christ is the Word become flesh, He alone, He is the Word become flesh, then He alone has revealed and defined God's will for mankind. If you want to know the true Word of God, Who's going to deliver the true Word of God to man? Who's that going to be? The Word become flesh. Right? Right? And then when you read in the book of John where he tells the apostles, I'm going to bring back to your memory everything I want you to write in a book. So the only one worthy to reveal the Word is the Word. This is the, this is God, the eternal Logos, becoming the Word in flesh. Folks, this is Him confirming. We say confirming revelation. Folks, that's why this book is supernatural. It's His book. It's the very words of God. It is alive. That's why the writers talk about that. It is alive. That's how come you can read this and somehow or another... Words on a page come off that page and absolutely strip your mind and strip your heart. Convict you of things you forgot about because this word is alive. Let me read one more. So we're thinking about this God becoming man. So it's about veiling His deity. It's about the word becoming flesh. Here's the third one. He who is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus said that multiple times. Again, this is... This is when he revealed himself to John in the Revelation, 60 years after his ascension into heaven. 
He calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So I want you to listen. He who is the Alpha and Omega emptied himself, obscuring any chance of being recognized as the eternal word or the eternal son. However, there were times where God would graciously give somebody a snapshot of Christ's deity every once in a while. It says the name Jesus. It says they named him Jesus, which is Jehovah saves. Christmas must remind us that Christ shared man's likeness so He could save us from our likeness. Because we're not, as we're born into this world, we're not a descendant of Jesus to begin with. We're a descendant of who? Adam. So He took on, he took on our nature. He took on our, and the Bible says form. He took on our form so He could save us from our form. He became a man so He could save man from sinners, right? From being a sinner. That's amazing. So folks, these are, these are reasons why Christmas is so precious to us. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer. Folks, thank you for your presence this morning. As we pray, let's do pray for Moses, for Karen and for their family, for Charlotte and Craig, of course, and the Esco. Lord, there's so much more about the incarnate life of Jesus that really blows my mind. And and Lord, some of it I just take by faith. I, I can't hardly explain it. But I know it's true because I've met the resurrected Christ. I've met the Lord of this Word. And so, Lord, I I believe everything Jesus Christ has had written in this book. Lord, we're honored to be able to, in freedom, celebrate the birth of Your Son. Knowing that He veiled Himself, for Lord, for the sole purpose of bearing the guilt being rejected there on the cross and experiencing in a few hours the punishment and the pain and being alienated from His Father. So I and millions of others like me would not have to experience that. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we pray for for the Hobsons. We pray for... Lord, for Charlotte and for her daughter that's going to be taking care of her needs. Pray for that process. Pray for TJ. Pray that you'll bless him. Bless him and Marianne. And Lord, in the circumstances, we pray for Moses and Karen. and Lord, for that whole family uh, that's dealing with the loss of a, of a brother, of a father. We just pray that you'll bless that family. 
Lord, above all, thank You for Christ. Thank You that 2,000 years ago, born for us this day in the city of David, was Jesus, who saved people like me from their sins. We love You and thank You for Christmas. In Christ's name, Amen. Have a great afternoon.